such a joy for me to be here. There's know that you have family on the East Coast in Philly. Um, the name of the network is Liberty with an I, then I on the end, L-I-B-E-R-T-I. And it's the Latin word for the people who used to be slaves but are now freed because the ransom has been paid. So we chose that name because a, there's a gospel connection there. We're freed people in Jesus, and it's, it's also part of the, the history of Philadelphia and the Liberty Bell down the street, and there's a connection with our region. And uh, I just want you to know, uh, your church has really blessed us. Uh, your team of leaders has loved me and blessed me personally. I'm really grateful that one of the benefits of the gospel is that Jesus calls us friend, and he also brings us into a community of friends. And uh, yeah, I love you guys. I love the team here. It's a joy to be with you. And what you're doing is really important. Going through these distinctives, these are your DNA, if you will. They're also your calling. There's a future element to them. And as Josh said, we're talking about Bible honoring this morning. Let's admit that this isn't one of the cool distinctives. This isn't one of the cool ones. Like next week's kingdom is the kingdom-focused distinctive. And if you say to your friends and neighbors, for instance, and maybe uh, aren't into Jesus, don't know Jesus, hey, you know what? We're Christians, and we want to love the poor. This is the 405 Center. We want to work for the common good. People are going to be like, that's great, right? There's not going to be many people who go, hey, the 405 Center, what were you guys thinking? Bad. You know, that's not going to happen very often. If you said, though, hey, one of the things we want to do as Christians is we honor the Bible. The response is going to go from high pitch, okay, 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 sure, okay, for you, all right, to uh, maybe like, I'm a little bit concerned about that, to outright, and there's probably those of us here this morning who are just like, is that a good idea? Does that mean you don't think for yourself? I'll sign me up for some of that. Um, is that a bad thing? Does that mean you're turning off your brain? And the Bible's been used to wound people. The Bible's been used to, to, to slap people. I've got a hardback Bible right now. It's almost like it's been used as a weapon, right? There was a, some guy with a sign. Here's a list of people going to hell, and he came to Philadelphia. List his and was in the middle of our city, just kind of spewing some hate. And uh, uh, one of my kids, my son was like, he just did this math on his own. He was like, I don't know if that guy's encountered the love of Jesus. I don't know. It's like, I, he just did that math. And so there's a lot of reasons why, probably a lot of us here this morning, this language of honoring the Bible might freak you out a little bit. And so let's look at this. We're going to look. I invite you to turn to 2 Timothy. It's way in the back of a Bible. It's like seriously like 98% of the Bible. It's the second letter of the Apostle Paul to this guy in ministry. And because life is hard and he's like, look, man, there's going to be pushback. There's going to be times of difficulty. He said people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, uh, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. You're going to get pushed back. You're going to suffer. And he goes on and says, you know what happened to me? And he names the places. I, I, uh, Antioch, he names these different places where he, he got beatdowns. 
And he calls Timothy, who's his son in the faith, to love the Bible. And he doesn't just say do it. He gives them reasons. So I, I want to invite you to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. We'll start at verse 10. And listen to the reasons. He doesn't just say, do it. I said it. Obey, son in the faith. Honor the Bible. He gives them reasons. And they're important reasons. Listen to the word of God. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete equipped for every good work. Now, what were the reasons? Okay, well, I'm going to give you a few. The first is this. You're called to be Bible-honoring to hear the truth of God. It really is truth from God. Why Why is Scripture profitable? Why is it super useful? Why is it the rule for life and faith? It's truth to know and to be shaped by. You're going to discover yourself You're going to know some things about God and some things about yourself that you didn't know. And it's it's truth to know and to live out of. Why is it profitable in these ways? It's breathed out by God. It's actually one word in Greek. All scripture is breathed out by God. God breathed. Um, There's this guy, B.B. Warfield, who is a, he's an American theologian, and he uh, taught at a seminary in the East Coast until... 1921, and he, he pointed out a key both about the scriptures. It's, it's very interesting, and it, and it helps us, you know, this is mysterious. How does this work? The key both is the scriptures are the work of people and the Holy Spirit. They're the work of people in the language, in the time period, with the artistic vision of the person and the gifts and the personality of the writer and also the Word of God. They didn't just make stuff up. And uh, according to B.B. Warfield, and I, I think this is right from everything we've seen in the Scriptures, they were, quote, intelligently present. It wasn't like Luke, when he wrote Acts, he just like had his eyes closed and was like, something's happening. I hope it's cool. Uh, he was intelligently present. He was a researcher. And I know you guys have been cruising through Acts, he claims, hey, I've carefully investigated these things. He didn't make stuff up. And yet, it's God-breathed. The Apostle Peter talked about this. 2 Peter 1, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Then he goes, then at the end of that paragraph, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture came from someone's own interpretation. 
For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of men, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. They didn't make it up. Peter's like, we saw this stuff. And that's how it worked back in the day. People spoke, carried along by the Holy Spirit. A key both. Uh, Check this out. Jesus at one point quotes a psalm. This is in Mark chapter 12. And he introduces the psalm like this. He says, David himself said in the Holy Spirit. David said in the Holy Spirit, and he quotes Psalm 110. Peter, in Acts 1, quotes a psalm. You know how he says it? The Holy Spirit spoke by the mouth of David. You see what I'm getting at? So it really is through human authors, and yet the scriptures have this unique authority. Now, some of you might be saying, um, look, it freaks me out that this came through. It wasn't, it came through human beings. Is it like stained glass? Now, we've got some really beautiful stained glass, and that stained glass is very, uh, it's great. I wish the church I hung out the most had some stained glass. We got zero, zero. But the problem, if the word of God Here's here's the beef. If the word of God is like this pure light, and it comes through human beings, is it relatively stained? That's the problem with stained glass. The stain. Is it just human? And that's a a common question and a beef. Like, look, everyone you've ever met is fallible and as goofy as I am and as you are. And you're like, if this came through people, is it like stained glass? Did the pure light of God, let's say there is a God. Let me go with that for a second. And he's going to reveal and speak and do this. If it comes through the stained glass of human beings, is it inherently jacked up? Um, A lot of Christians have pointed this out. B.B. Warfield says it in a fun way. But what if God, in his sovereignty, quoting him, had been uniquely preparing each person to write through his it, the person's education, knowledge, and experience so that at the time he could communicate the exact message that God required. The claim of the scriptures is that God is a revealer and the God who's in control of everything. And if God did make things, if God is the creator, is he able, would he not be able to pull that off? Acts is an interesting example Because it seems like the guy who wrote Acts is a doctor, he's educated, he had research experience, and he's in the right place at the right time. It seems like uh, Luke, who wrote Acts, he interviewed, when he wrote Luke, Mary. He has all this insider information. He interviewed people. He carefully researched it. Plus, in the context of Acts, he was there at key times. That's why in the narrative of Acts, sometimes he says, we... We did this stuff because he was with Paul. Other times he said Paul and his companions did this. Couldn't it be true? The God, the God of creation is able to make the scriptures come together by orchestrating it in the perfect way. Now he would have to be God, right? Only God could pull that off. And yet, the, the scripture is this wonderful book that tells this one story, and it always has the God-breathed aspect of it. It 
This is why there's always countercultural aspects to it. It's always countercultural and frontline. This is what you need to hear in order to be a missional movement. Um, it's, couch, it's countercultural, and it's always in the course of Christian history called churches to faithfully, to faithfully push back darkness and love people in their time, to faithfully be the presence of Jesus in their generation. It requires them to go against the stream. Now, you guys have water parks here, right? You got water parks. You know the Lazy River? Uh, at a water park, we got these on the East Coast too. You got all the fun slides and the tubes and all that stuff. The Lazy River is designed for dads to take a break. You just sit in the tube. You get to chill out for a while, okay? You just get to lay back in the Lazy River. The scriptures, because they're from God, because it's the truth of God, they put you in a motorboat instead of being in the Lazy River, You don't just go say what everyone else is saying as a community in this cultural moment. You don't just lay back and think like everybody else. Sometimes this will lead you to things where people say, hey, that's awesome, 405 Center, that's awesome. Other times it will lead you to say and embody truth that's very countercultural. First page of the Bible See, it was the same in the ancient world. First page of the Bible, God creates human beings in his own image. And that poem says in the first page of the Bible, Genesis 1, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, on the streets of Philadelphia or in OKC, if you said, hey, do people, human beings, like all have value and dignity? Everyone would say yes, right? And if someone's like, no, that would freak everybody out. Everyone agrees with that. At the time, that was subversive. In the context of the ancient world, you know who was made in the image of God? Kings. Male kings. So there's these ancient inscriptions. It'll be like this Babylonian king in the image of Marduk. Male kings were thought to be in the image of God. And so a scripture that said, actually, all human beings, no matter what class, what job, what status, what gender, male and female, created in the image of God, crazy subversive, crazy countercultural, and it's changed the West, right? That's a given. There's other aspects, though, to God's truth now that is still very countercultural. I'm saying this is truth from God, and some of you might be asking, but don't we need to think for ourselves? Don't we need to create our own truth, find our own path, find our own light, And there is some truth to that, in that the the truth needs to lodge in you, shape you. Um, The truth needs to reside in you, and you need to authentically yourself connect with it. It can't be forced on you. You can't just be beat down with it. That is right. And yet, um, don't you instinctively know this? You don't create it. When you're born, we just saw a whole SWAT team of beautiful little babies. That was super fun. Uh, When you're born, you're born in a certain place. You're born on a map. Maps have existed for a long time in human history. You know what's different about the cell phone revolution? You can pull up a map and say, where am I? You can locate yourself on the map. When you're born, you're born into this world. You're born on a map. You're born in a reality. Saying create your own truth, hey, no pressure. Think about the pressure of that for a second. Hey, you know what? 
uh, I really do hope you're happy, but let's just explain these kids. You have to create your own reality and values and purpose for your life. You just have to do that from yourself. A, a lot of pressure. B, does that seem true? Does that seem right? Don't we all wake up on a map? Um, there's a group of artists in Philadelphia that for, for a while they had as their slogan for their studio, the anglerfish. Uh, we're going to be the angler studio. Do you guys know about the anglerfish? The anglerfish and their slogan was create your own light. I had some interesting conversations on a couple different levels. The anglerfish is a crazy looking monster fish. It lives deep in the ocean, the part that's so dark it has to create its own light, right? And it does that. It has this little like thing that sticks out and it creates light to like eat other fish, which is creepy. It's not doing like a community service down there in the bottom of the ocean. Hey guys, I got it. I got the flashlight. It's like come into my mouth, okay? So it's a dark image. Create your own light to consume other people. Uh, is really the anglerfish line. <laughs> but the interesting um, conversation that I had with a couple was basically, does that really work to create your own light? And yes, we need to. Uh, no one can make us believe anything. No one can force us, um, force something down our throats. But is that really the way it is? Do I like make up what justice is? Or is justice external? And I need to acknowledge it. Do I make up what love means? Or am I taught to love by being loved? And when you boil it down, what's at heart behind some of the legitimate fear about truth, and especially you know, a, a pastor talking about truth. Is this guy going to beat us up about honoring the Bible and about truth? It's Nietzsche's insight that's on a street level. Nietzsche was this German philosopher that said, there's actually an insight. He said, a lot of times when people claim to have the truth, it's a power grab. And he was frankly fine with that. But when people claim to have the truth, they're trying to sell something or get you to sign up for their army, or take control. And in sin, that's a lot of times what happens, right? We're in a world of fake news on the left and the right. We don't know what to believe. The word narrative, I was talking with a friend recently who is in charge of this podcast, and he was talking about how the word narrative is sort of synonymous with just spin and meaninglessness. Hey, everyone's got a narrative, and it's just all confusing. And in this din, we're supposed to find truth. Uh, Nietzsche had an insight, uh, but let me ask you this. Uh, wouldn't it be different if there was a truth that was so loving that this truth came not to oppress you or to just sell you a product, but to free you? What if... If this stuff is true about God, and if this stuff is true about Jesus, this is a truth that this is a truth you can trust, but because the, the person who's beckoning to you, the one who beckons to you with this truth has nail-pierced hands for you. Wouldn't it change everything if there was a truth that would set you free? It would change it all. And the reason why frontline, you're called 
to honor the Bible so you'll know the truth, the truth that's in Jesus, and he really will set you free. Okay, so that's, that was the first point. Honor the Bible because it's God's truth. Secondly, about God's son and his salvation. It's about Jesus, and that's explicit in the text. Be Bible honoring to hear about the son of God. Look at what he says. He says, Timothy, okay, he's trying to keep him being missional. Verse 15, you remember how from childhood you have been equated with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. We're Bible honoring because the Bible teaches us about Jesus and his salvation. They make us wise for salvation, how to be saved, how to be freed, <coughs> excuse me, how to be liberated, how to become whom you're truly made and called to be. Uh, it's not primarily wise for health, uh, though I should probably eat less meat, and that plan didn't work out very well at the Justin Coffee's house last night. Uh, it's not primarily wise for finances. It's wise for salvation, okay? And the point, the Bible isn't this just like random collection of ancient stories and don't fit together. They fit together in one story, and it's about Jesus. And this is explicit in the scriptures. There's a progressive aspect to these stories, these true stories, and they're fulfilled and they climax in Jesus. They all point to him, they're fulfilled by him, and he ties it all together. It's explicit in the Bible, and it's how it's what we see. Hebrews 1 starts like this. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. What's being said there? Long ago, God spoke through all these different prophets, but then in these last days, and this is better, he has spoken to us by his very son. And Jesus, we're Bible honoring so we can see who God is through Jesus, who represents the beauty of God to us. We're Bible honoring because we're saved through faith in Jesus. We're Bible honoring because the whole point of the story is Jesus and what he's done, what God is doing in Jesus to bring a lost world to himself and to make a lost world new and to save people. It's about Jesus. So it's one story. Probably some of your struggles with the Bible are related to how to fit like all the Hebrew scriptures in your Bible. If you treat the Bible like a garbage bag of fortune cookies for your Tuesday, like, hey, I just got this. It's Tuesday. Let's get some chicken soup for the soul. I'm just going to open up some Bible. And you read some weird stuff. You know, maybe you read about King David, and he's killing some people named Philistines. Don't know what they did wrong. And he's taking their foreskins. That's true. I'm not making it up. And now he's going to get married. And you don't read that story and go, now that was some chicken soup for the soul. Now I'm ready for Tuesday. That was helpful. Okay, it's, it's weird stuff. It's a different era. It's a different culture. It's a different time in Revelation history and in the history of God's people. And there's a learning curve, okay? It's not a garbage bag full of fortune cookies. The Bible's not a bag of marbles. It's more like a necklace. The gems are connected. It's all part of one thing. 
It's not a group of stories, it's one story. And so, for instance, it's helpful to learn how King David, as good as he was and how many enemies he defeated, he was not perfect. And it makes us long for the better King Jesus. And he doesn't, Jesus comes and defeats our deepest enemies, sin and death. Jesus makes us part of his kingdom and actually made God's people ache for a righteous king who would reign forever. In the ultimate kingdom that will exist forever. So we need to learn to read the Bible as one grand story and how it points us to Jesus. We need to learn it to read it in community. Uh, There's an emphasis, a proper emphasis on reading it for yourself, which is right and good. Like learn to commune with God in worship. We're having worship here this morning. Learn to, and there's a learning curve to this. I mean, I only learn to do it by watching other people do it and having this explained to me. Learn how to use the Bible to be with God and worship God on your own. Uh, and intercede and thank God. That's right. But we do need community. We need others to explain stuff to us. In the church, this church, and uh, the churches I'm a part of, we're in community with the church in history. And here's the thing. When people have the Bible, God uses his word to empower his people to be part of missional movements. And this is actually, this is, you see this in church history. We're having this worship service in English. That's helpful. It wasn't always a thing to have the scriptures in English. And there's actually two key people we're going to look at this morning. They, were, they actually helped spur missional movements. We're going to look back and then look around today. Look back. Think about John Wycliffe. He was this guy at Oxford. He, had this, um, he was basically a seminary professor and a pastor both. Super smart. He had this crazy idea at the time, very countercultural. You know, we ought to translate the Bible in English and everyone should have access to it. And it should be the highest authority in the Christian life. Not just what uh, a church leader on earth says, this is the will of the Lord. Actually, it should be in the common tongue and not just in Latin. And everyone should have access to it. Um, This is a while back. He died in 1384. The church institution in the medieval church was not having it, actually, and said that's a bad idea. And actually, that's what priests are for. We'll explain what it means to you in Latin. We got the Bible. We'll tell you. What's it say? Well, trust us. It was kind of like that. Um, They really were against him. How much do you, how much are you hated if people dig up your body after you die so that they can burn it at the stake? That's what happened to John Wycliffe. Okay? His body was dug up so it could be burned at the stake, which that's pretty mean, right? That's, we can agree on that. That's pretty mean. They were not having that. He's known, though, as the morning star of the Protestant Reformation. All these Christians in the world that are Protestants, he's known as the morning star. He's like a a dim light of this light that was coming because what happened is there was a bunch of other people that God raised up to translate the scriptures in their tongue. Luther was one of those guys. Why did Germany go bonkers? And all these people came to Jesus and all these churches were planted. He translated the Bible in German. Another guy in English, William Tyndale. He died in 1536. 
His thing was that normal people should have access to the scriptures. He, wanted, he, he translated in English, and you said phrases that he made up. If you've ever said, my brother's keeper, he made up that line in English. He invented, he put words into the English language, and a lot of his work was the basis of the later King James. The church wasn't having it at the time. He was died at the stake. He was strangled and then buried. His dying prayer was that the king of England would have his eyes opened. Two years later, that prayer was answered, and there was an English Bible in every church. And what happened around the world, it was, it was a dark time in the world and in the church. There were missional movements. People came to Jesus. People met Jesus. People had the scriptures, and what they thought the Bible said changed. Now, that's still happening. There are still missional movements happening. Did you know that? Uh, there's a guy named Laman Sanye. He's uh, a West African guy. He was, uh, was raised as a Muslim in Gambia, converted to Christianity, uh, happened to come to America, super smart guy. He teaches history at Yale University, and he teaches world Christianity at Yale Divinity School. And he's had some, a couple really influential books. One's called Translating the Message. One's called Whose Religion is Christianity? The Gospel Beyond the West. And, and Whose Religion is Christianity? The Gospel Beyond the West. He just points this out. Christianity is the most geographically diverse world religion. Did you know that most of the Christians are in the global south? In Africa, uh, it, if you think of... Christians, Christians being mostly like European types and white, you need to get out some more. So if I said to you, hey, I really enjoy OKC, which I really do, by the way, and I said, hey, I'm really enjoying all, all of being in OKC, but it's too bad that there's not many places for me to have a good craft beer. You would say, hey, Philly friend, we need to go out, <laughs> right? I guess you haven't been out as much. In the same way, if you're like, you know what, Christianity is mostly white, you just need to get out there. Yeah, there's hundreds of millions of African Christians who never got that memo, and they're not aware of that. The, uh, as far as having the scripture in your language and then seeing what happens, I got the chance to witness this. Uh, I... Our church is connected with a group of churches of the Moru people in South Sudan. Moru people, if you look it up, M-O-R-U people, Moru, M-O-R-U, in South Sudan. There's, only, there's under 200,000 people in this tribe and language group in the world. And here's the thing. In 1920, this World War I vet named Kenneth Grant Fraser. And his wife, Eileen, felt called by God to go to this one region. And uh, it was amazing, the story that led them there. Kenneth Grant Fraser, they loved him because he was a hunter and he was brave. That was part of the culture. I think the pick, we're going to get a pick up there that some people who had been mauled by lions and they liked him because he was brave and a hunter. And he did two things. He trained medical workers and he trained part of the Bible. Then he died in 1935. He was with him for 15 years. He's like, this is how you do medical stuff and help your people. Here's some of the Bible. And they finished the rest. I met the guy who finished the rest. His name was Morris. He's now like 88. When I was there in 2013, he was 88. 
He finished the rest. I was there uh, leading a network of churches to do a training on church planning and just strengthen them and bring a greeting for them, and we partnered on some things. Here's what was crazy. So I'm being introduced. Liberty churches were like six churches at the time. Here, here's Steve. He's coming today. He has like six churches. Like, hi, I'm Michael. I oversee 11 churches. Hi, I'm Joseph. I oversee seven churches. It was like showing up to do a guitar workshop, and there's Jimmy Page and Jack White and the Edge there, you know? And God, there was grace, ways to strengthen them, but the point was they had, they had the Holy Spirit, and the things that they talked about, it was like the book of Acts. Conversions, spiritual warfare, breakthroughs, guidance. They had the Holy Spirit, and they had the Scriptures. And God used that to guide them and speak to them and call them in the mission. And they knew it wasn't like they needed to be told to plant churches. They, read, they were like, yeah, that's, isn't that kind of like what you do? We, we tell people about Jesus, we love each other and live that out and tell more people about it. So they were like, yeah, I've, I've gone to these villages and planted churches there. They knew what to do. It was a missional movement. God uses the scriptures to call us into the mission of God. And that's the third point. And this is, I'm going to kind of wrap this up. We're Bible honoring. I'm calling you frontline in the Lord to be Bible honoring because God will use the, his word to call you into his mission. Look at the context of 2 Timothy. He says, look, man, it's wacky. You saw the stuff that'll happen to me. Anyone who desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. There will be pushback. And he's trying to keep Timothy on track. If you hang with this, if you honor the Bible, if you have the scripture in your life, you'll be a man of God who is complete, equipped for every good work. You will be ready. In community... God used a specific scripture to call me in the church planning. Uh, I had a relatively, an easier church job, living in an easier place to live, on a bigger team, and everything was more stable, right? And the Jesus words in John 14, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I'm going to the Father, then he goes on and said, therefore pray, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And I was with some people, we're like, Lord, would you do greater things in our city? And we see these, we see these neighborhoods where there's not gospel churches. God uses the word to call people into mission. And frontline, you need to have these scriptures on your heart and on your soul, because God has... God has told us it's going to be hard. Love God, love people, and push back darkness. Right? That's what it is. When you push back darkness, you know what happens? You get darkness on you. As you follow, we're coming up to Easter here, and we're going to think about the crucified Son of God as we follow him together in community and in our lives and imitate his sacrificial love that will lead to Loving people in messy ways. If you love people and you're like, hey, I'm really going to go deep with these friends who are depressed and really struggling, you'll feel that darkness on you. 
If you're like, I don't know what I'm doing, but this justice issue, it's going to be hard to fix in our city, but I'm going to dive in and get involved and try stuff. And maybe some of the stuff will work. Maybe some of it won't. It'll be hard. You know, we can't say to God, God, I'll serve you just as long as it always works out well. It's awesome. And I get encouraged all the time. Right? When we jump in to love people and let the scriptures call, let the scriptures call you into the mission of God, we will get darkness on us. But this is the thing. Um, be Bible honoring so you also have God's comfort. God will use it to call you in his mission. And you'll also have his comfort. We have Jesus' promises in, in the scriptures. What do you say? The last line of the gospel of Matthew, I will always be with you. What are we told about the love of God? That actually nothing can happen to us in this life and no persecution. Uh, nothing can happen to our family. Uh, nothing can happen to us financially or even mental health wise. If you have Jesus, Romans 8 says, there's nothing that can separate you from the love of God in Jesus Christ. That's God's promise to you. So frontline, may you be Bible honoring that you would be by his grace and for his glory part of a missional movement for your city and for the state. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.